0: Hi and welcome to the Book of Rulebooks. My name is Mathieu LaBrosse, and today I'll read to you the rulebook for Harrow County, the game of Gothic Conflict designed by Jay Cormier and Chad Miller and published by Off the Page Games. Harrow County is currently funding on Kickstarter, so you'll find a link to their Kickstarter page in the description. You'll also find all timestamps in the description if you want to skip to a certain section. Harrow County is a small, rural community, maybe not all that far from where you live. It's the kind of place you might miss if you were passing through, if you blinked, or maybe you turned a wary eye away from your surroundings. At night, strange figures move through lonely, forgotten places. When thunder rumbles and lightning flashes as bright as witches' fire, you might glimpse inhuman shapes lumbering through the blasted heats. Harrow County is a haunted place, a place where the haints grow restless and uneasy. If you're planning on spending some time in Harrow, it's best to know a few charms or curses, depending on your disposition, and have a few friends by your side. Years ago, a witch named Hester Beck was hung burned, and then buried under a tree. Not long after, a baby was discovered in the hole in that tree. Taken in by a farmer and his wife, the baby was named Emmy and raised as a normal child. Everyone in town knew about Hester, though, and they kept a watchful eye on Emmy as she grew. They suspected she might be the witch reborn, but she grew to love Harrow County as her home. She had a deep connection to the land and power she did not quite understand. The restless spirits and strange creatures that lurked in the darkness haints, as they were called, seemed to hold the girl in high regard. Nowadays, Emmy has befriended some other misfits and together they are the Protectors, a group of outcasts trying to protect the townsfolk of Harrow County from the family siblings of Hester who want to destroy the town for executing their sister. About this rulebook. This rulebook is split into chapters, each one teaching you more about how to play Harrow County. Each chapter introduces more gameplay elements, such as new characters, new abilities, new win conditions, etc. So you should play them in order to ease yourself into the complexity of the game. Each chapter also introduces new components. As you move through the chapters, you will unlock components specific to each chapter, but you will also need the components from previous chapters. For example, you will unlock bonus tokens in chapter 3 and these will be added to every component you've already learned how to use in chapter 1 and 2. Chapter 1 Your first game will be a battle between the legends named Emmy and Levy. As the leader of the Protectors, Emmy will be trying to rescue Harrow County Townsfolk. As the leader of the Protectors, Levy will be trying to destroy parts of the town. Each legend will have control of haints, spirits that they can summon and control throughout the game. Setup: Decide who is playing as Emmy and who is playing as Levy. The player playing as Emmy should place the Protectors faction board in front of them. The player playing as Levy should do the same with the Family faction board. Make sure both faction boards are flipped to the side that has no images of cards underneath the faction name. Next up, set up the map. First, randomly choose any one map from the box and place it in the center of the table so that a home hex is in front of each player. Maps References On each map, you'll find the following hexes, which have a color and a name. You'll find Brown Bog, Yellow Plains, Green Forest, Teal Wetlands, Home Hex and you'll also find Brambles, which are not Terrain Hex, and Mountain, which are also not Terrain Hex. It's also possible to find a Storm, which is placed on top of a Hex. Second, place Ability Tokens around the map in the following way. Place a move token on each brown bog Hex featuring the Ability Token icon. Then, place a spawn token on each teal wetland Hex featuring the Ability Token icon. Then, place a strengthen token on each Yellow Plains Hex featuring the Ability Token icon. And finally, place a legend token on each green forest space featuring the ability token icon. After you've placed these ability tokens, you should have tokens on every terrain hex except the home hexes and hexes adjacent to the home hexes. Terrain hexes are the four colored hexes, not the mountains or the brambles. As for the third step of the setup, place three townsfolk onto the map, one on each of the three corner hexes, that are the furthest away from the protector player's side. Four, place three buildings onto the map, one on each of the three corner axes that are furthest away from the family player's side. The fifth step, place your legend token, which would be Emmy or Levy, on the home hex on your side of the map. Sixth, place three haints, your color on the home hex with your legend token. All four pieces should be sharing the same hex. That would conclude setting up the map. The next step for setup, place the scoreboard off to one side and set each player's score to zero. You can ignore the spoon on the scoreboard during chapter one. Then equip your legends. First, Place your faction's legend ability track below your character board. Levy for the family and Emmy for the Protectors. For the Protectors, which is Emmy, take the three barbed wire or path tokens and place one on each of the empty spaces on the legend ability track. Place the fourth barbed wire or path token beside your faction board in your possessions which is the area next to the faction board. This token is available to use from the start of the game. As for the family, which is levy, place all the storm tokens in your possessions near your faction board. You have access to all of them from the start of the game. Then, take one wild token into your possessions. The rest can be placed near the middle of the table, accessible to both players. Next up, the player playing as Levy, which is the family, should also grab the family's bag and place four move, two spawn, and two strengthen tokens into the bag and shake it up. Next, place all remaining hates of your color into your possessions. You will be able to add them to the map throughout the game. Next up, to set up the basin jars, Place the four mason jars face up in the spaces on the scoreboard so that each of you has one of each on your side of the scoreboard. These are placed opposite of the same one on your opponent's side. The next step for the setup is to set up the cube tower and battleground. The cube tower is how you'll resolve combat in this game. Arrange the cube tower next to the battleground so that cubes will fall out on the bottom of the cube tower and spill out onto the battleground. Each player starts with three cubes of their color on their side of the battleground. There are squares where each cube can be placed on each side. Place the remaining cubes for each player next to the battleground on their side. And finally, give the first player a token to the protectors. Round Overview Each round consists of two phases. Phase 1 consists of players taking alternating turns activating their mason jars by flipping them over to their broken side in order to take the associated actions. Players take these actions to complete objectives and earn points. In other words, phase 1 is when players will be making several decisions that affect the outcomes of the game. More precisely for Phase 1, players alternate taking turns starting with the first player by activating their mason jars until they've both activated three mason jars. As for Phase 2, it involves scoring the consequences of the actions taken during Phase 1 and preparing for the next round. More precisely, the steps are to check for Bramble's point, check if the end of the game is triggered. And refresh the mason jars. Turns vs Rounds Whenever this rulebook refers to taking a turn, it refers to the players activating their mason jars during phase 1. As for the rounds, after each player has taken 3 turns and you have checked Bramble's scoring and game end triggers, the round ends by resetting each player's mason jars. Each round begins with all four mason jars face up again. In the right light, the road leading to Mason Hollow glittered as if it was paved with jewels. Once, the Hollow enjoyed a brisk trade of homemade wine. The Hollow was named for the jars in which the wine was kept. When government men came to the Hollow, though, they put an end to the trade they smashed thousands of jars. The earth turned muddy with spilled wine. The glass fragments of the shattered jars peppered the grounds. Mason jars are still important in Harrow County, though. While some folks still secretly brew their own libations, others use the jars to store conjurations and magical spells and even foul spirits. When such a jar is shattered, the magic contained within is unleashed. Phase 1. Actions or Turns Let's first go over the activation of mason jar actions. With all of the mason jars now face up, the first player chooses one of their four mason jar tokens to flip phase down to activate their desired action. The four possible Mason Jar actions you can activate are Abilities, Wild, Legend and Attack. Abilities Mason Jar There are three abilities in the game, which are Move, Spawn and Strengthen. Both the Protectors and Family are able to move, spawn and strengthen their units, but how these actions are activated? is different for each faction. When the Protectors activate the abilities Mason Jar, they choose which ability they'd like to activate this turn, so either move, spawn, or strengthen. The Protectors activate the ability they choose at the value according to the number above the rightmost ability token of that matching ability on their faction board. The Protectors start as if they have one Ability Token in each row of their Faction Board. When the family activate the Abilities Mason Jar, they draw tokens from their bag equal to the highest number on their Faction Board with a token below it. Then they place these tokens for all to see. They can then activate each Ability Token they drew out of their bag individually. The family starts as if they have one ability token in their first space on their faction board. The move ability. It costs one move to move one or more of your units from one hex to another adjacent hex. Imagine you have four units sharing a hex and would like to move one or more. Each of these movement examples would only require one move. These examples are moving a single unit from one hex to another, moving two units as a group, or moving four units as a group. If you have four units, splitting up these four units to different hexes would require more movement since they are not moving as a single group. For example, if they would move to two different hexes, they would require two moves. There are a few movement rules to keep in mind. There can only ever be a maximum of four units on any hex. You can move multiple units that are all on the same hex from that one to an adjacent hex using only one move. The cost to move is not determined by the number of units on a hex. You can pick up or drop off units as you move around the map. You can't move onto a hex occupied by an enemy unit. It costs one more move to move onto a mountain hex. Protectors must pay one more move to move onto storms. The family can move onto them as if they were normal terrain. Townsfolk are red. Only protector units can be on or move through the hexes occupied by them. They do not count as units. On the other end, Buildings are blue. Only family units can be on or move through the hexes occupied by them. They also do not count as units. The spawn ability. In the same way as Hester conjured servants from the very earth, some powerful magicians, Emmy and Levi, for example, can summon haints. They pull muddy soil from the ground shaping it into haints, sometimes helpful, sometimes horrifying. Such magic can only be worked from places of great power. It costs one spawn to add one haint to the same hex as your legend, or onto your home hex. Take a haint from your possessions and add it to the desired hex. There are a few spawn rules to keep in mind, It costs 1 spawn to summon a Haint even if there's a storm on the Hex with your Legend or Home Hex. It costs 2 spawn to summon a Haint if there's a mountain on the Hex with your Legend. You cannot spawn onto a Hex if there are already 4 units on that Hex. You also cannot spawn onto a Hex with enemy units, including your Home Hex. This Strengthen Ability Fight or flight, it's an animal instinct, but it holds true for people and even supernatural beings too. When you've got a tussle coming for you, sometimes it's best to lay low and save your strength. Wait until you feel your strongest to start scuffling. When magical swords are involved, it becomes even more important to prepare for the fight. Save your iron nails gather your fireflies, practice your rituals and prayers and incantations. A little bit of preparation goes a long way before you set about tearing out your enemy's throat. Strength plays a major role in how combat works in Harrow County, which will be explained later. Strengthening allows you to add more cubes of your color to the battleground. When one player attacks another, both players drop all the cubes in the battleground into the cube tower. The number and color of the cubes that fall out of the bottom of the tower determines the outcome of the battle. So increasing your strength improves your odds of success in combat. For the protectors, refer to your strengthened track and place that many strengthened cubes on your side of the battleground. For the family, add one strengthened cube to your side of the battleground for each strengthened icon on your drawn ability tokens. There is a limit to this. Notice that there are 6 slots for cubes on each side of the battleground. If you have more than 6 strengthened cubes at the end of any of your turns, discard until you have only 6. The Wild Mason Jar Take one wild token from the component tray and add it to your possessions, and use as many wild tokens as you have collected up to this point. Since each player starts with one wild token, the first time you take this action, you will gain one wild token, bringing your total of wild tokens to two and allowing you to immediately take two wild token actions. The next time you activate the wild mason jar, you'll have three tokens, allowing you to immediately take three wild token actions. Each wild token gives you the ability to do one of the following. Either one move, so move once according to the normal rules for your faction, one spawn, so spawn one haint according to the normal rules for your faction, or one strengthen, so add one strengthen cube, to your side of the battleground. Do not discard your wild tokens when you use them. Keep them in your possessions from round to round, growing your collection each time you flip over your wild mason jar. The Legend Mason Jar. When you choose this mason jar, you activate your legend ability and your legend's unique power. You can activate these in any order. The legend ability track is the track that's between your character board and your faction board. This is the track that the legend ability tokens activate. Let's go over how the protectors resolves the legend mason jar. At the start of the game, the protectors have one barbed wire or a path token in their possessions and they gain a barbed wire or path token for each legend ability token collected from the map. Barbed wire or path token can either be placed barbed wire side up or path side up. You can place all barbed wire or path tokens in your possessions. A barbed wire or path token can be placed on a hex up to your current range away from your legend. Your range is usually 2, but it is 3 if you're on a mountain. The Barbed Wire. Once placed, nothing can affect a hex with a barbed wire. No units can enter this hex. No ability tokens can be claimed or pulled from here. No storms can be placed here. No one can attack from this hex or target it in an attack. If there are ability tokens or storms already on this hex, then they stay on this hex. The barbed wire token cannot be placed on hexes with any enemy units, or with buildings, on the brambles, on a home hex, or adjacent to a hex with another barbed wire token. To clarify, barbed wire tokens must always have at least one hex between them. You could place a barbed wire token on a hex with a path token, but the path token wouldn't have any effect the path token. Once placed, any unit, yours or your opponent's, can enter this hex for one less move. This means if a path token is placed on a terrain hex, then units can move onto this hex for zero movement, even when they're not activating an action that gives them movement. For example, a player chooses to use their turn to activate their Legend Mason Jar action, They could also move any unit onto an adjacent hex that isn't a mountain and has no storm that has a PATH token for free since it costs zero movement to do so. In addition, townsfolk can be passed through hexes containing only a PATH token as if there were units there. PATH tokens can be placed on any hex and even on hexes adjacent to each other. When the protectors choose the legend mason jar, they can also interact with other barbed wire or path tokens that are already in play in the following ways. They can leave the barbed wire or path tokens where they are. They could flip a barbed wire or path token within range of their legend to its opposite side. Or they could collect any barbed wire or path tokens from anywhere on the map and return them to their possessions. Keep in mind that barbed wire or path tokens collected in this way can be immediately placed elsewhere on the map within range of your legend during the same action, following all normal placement restrictions. Now, let's look at how the family resolves their legend mason jar. At the start of the game, when taking the legend mason jar, The family has the ability to place a storm token on a hex with at least one of their haints on it, except on the brambles. As you gain more legend ability tokens, you can make more powerful storms. With one legend ability token, you can pull any ability token anywhere on the map one hex closer to the storm you just placed. To clarify, The ability token does not need to be pulled onto the hex with the storm, though it could. It only needs to be one hex closer to the hex with the newly placed storm. It can be pulled onto a hex with another ability token, or with a friendly or enemy unit, or even onto a hex with a building or townsfolk. With two legend ability tokens. In addition to pulling an ability token 1 hex closer, you can also pull a friendly haint 1 hex closer to the storm you just placed. And with 3 legend ability tokens, in addition to pulling an ability token and the friendly haint 1 hex closer, you can also pull 1 enemy unit 1 hex closer to the storm you just placed. Perform Legend's unique power. Every legend has a unique power that's listed beside the hen icon on their character board. For Emi, place one strengthened cube from your possessions onto every hex that has no cube, but at least one of your haints. If a hex with a cube on it is targeted in an attack, add the cube to your side of the battleground. If Emi enters a hex with a cube on it, add the cube to your side of the battleground. Emmy can only pick up a cube by entering a hex with a cube on it. If a cube is placed on a hex where she already is, she does not get to pick up that cube unless she leaves and re enters that hex. And now, Levy's unique power. For Levy, move each of your haints onto or off of a legal adjacent hex that matches the terrain that Levy is on. For example, If Levy is on a yellow plains hex, you can move each of your haints to a yellow plains hex that is adjacent to them, or you can move each of your haint that is already on a yellow plains hex to an adjacent hex. Each haint is processed separately. For this, mountains and brambles do not count as terrain. Also, you may ignore the extra movement cost of moving onto a mountain. You must adhere to all other movement restrictions. And finally, Livy does not move during this action. The attack mason jar. To resolve this mason jar, follow the attack steps. First, when you choose the attack mason jar, you also get to take one free move, spawn, or strengthen action. This action does not have to involve units, that are attacking this round. This free action can happen before or after your attack. Second, identify the attacking hex, which must contain at least one of your units, and the defending hex, which must contain at least one of your enemy's units and be within your range, which is up to two hexes away, but is three hexes away if the attacking units are on a mountain. You can only target one hex per action. If the hex contains only haints, then you will be attacking a haint. If the hex contains only a legend, you will be attacking the legend. If the hex contains a legend and at least one haint, you must attack the haints before attempting to attack the legend. For the third step, whichever player has the most units involved in this attack, earns one additional strengthened cube to add to their side of the battleground. If it's a tie, neither player earns this bonus cube. Fourth, take all the strengthened cubes from both players in the battleground and drop them into the top of the cube tower. Fifth, the results of the attack are determined by comparing the number of attacker cubes that fall out of the cube tower to the number of defender cubes that fall out. Each player should pull the cubes of their color back to their side of the battleground to make counting them easier. In order for an attack to be successful, two things must be true. First, the attacker has the same or more cubes than the defender on the battleground. And second, the attacker has enough cubes to complete the attack action. It costs two cubes to complete an attack against targets on any hex other than the brambles. It’s hard to defend in the brambles. An attacking player only has to discard one cube to kill a haint or attack a legend that is on the Bramble’s hex. After this, if the attack is successful, the attacker may discard the required number of cubes back to their possessions to complete the attack action. If the target was a haint, the attacker gains one point underscore dial and removes one of the defender's haints from the targeted hex. The defender returns this haint to their possessions. Reminder A haint is always targeted first if on the same hex as a legend. If the target is a legend, the attacker pushes the legend to an adjacent hex. Following placement restrictions like the maximum number of units on a hex. This hex cannot have a barbed wire token, but legends can be pushed onto a storm or mountain. The attacker removes one enemy haint from anywhere on the board and gains one point on their score dial. The defender returns this haint to their possessions. If the defender has no more haints on the map, the attacker still gains 1 point underscore dial as if they had killed a haint. If Emi is attacked and the opponent chooses a haint on a hex that has a red cube on it from her legend's unique power, that red cube does not get added to the battleground as that hex was not targeted in the attack. After all this, the attacker can continue to attack as long as they respect the following. First, they have to have at least the same number of cubes in the battleground as the defender. They also need the required number of cubes to complete the attack action. And finally, they have to keep using the same attacking hex and the same defending hex as their previous attack. Simply discard the required number of cubes to complete the attack action. In this way, an attacker can kill multiple haints. On the same hex or kill a haint on the same hex as a legend in order to then attack a legend. If there are no more units left in the defender's hex, then the attack is over. Next up for the attack step, if fewer attacker cubes fall out of the cube tower than defender cubes, the attack is unsuccessful. But a haint clash can be initiated if there's at least one haint, on each of the attacking and defending hexes. The Haint Clash If the attacker has enough cubes, one if the Haint is on the Brambles, otherwise two, they can discard the required number of cubes to kill the Haint on the defending hex. However, during a Haint Clash, the defender also has a choice to discard the required number of cubes to kill a Haint on the attacking hex. Here's a few clarifications for this. If the attacker has 3 range and the defender has 2 range, then only the attacker can kill in a haint clash, since the defender can't reach the attacker. Also, you can't haint clash if there's only a legend on either one of the hexes. There needs to be at least one haint on each hex to initiate a haint clash. Also. Both the attacker and defender can choose independently, starting with the attacker, if they want to spend cubes to kill enemy units in a haint clash. And finally, each player can only kill a maximum of one haint in a haint clash. Once an attack is completed, make sure all cubes remaining on the battleground are back on their onus side of the battleground. Haints are otherworldly creatures. They break the laws of nature, but they still adhere to laws of their own. If someone knows the proper methods, chants, or invocations, they can destroy a haint or banish them from this world. In this way, even the dead are not above and beyond death. Of course, those brave souls who look the horrors of the night right in the baleful eye are made of sterner stuff. Hardiness, magical protections, and good old fashioned luck is often enough to keep a legendary soul alive and kicking when the chips are down. Using any mason jar to attack again Once you've attacked in a round, you can attack again on another turn this round. It is possible to attack every turn in a round if you choose. To attack again, simply flip any other face-up mason jar token face down, identify the attacking hex and defending hex, and proceed with the attack steps as usual. You don't get the free move, spawn, or strengthen action on the subsequent attacks because you only get the free move, spawn, or strengthened action from flipping over the attacked mason jar. Cleanup, ending your turn. After you've completed your mason jar action this turn, check your strengthened cubes. You cannot have more than six cubes on your side of the battleground at the end of your turn. If you still have more than six cubes left on the battleground, you must discard cubes down to six. Then, collect ability tokens and level up abilities. You can collect ability tokens from any hexes containing at least one of your units. Collect them according to the rules for your factions. Here's how the Protectors collect their ability tokens. When you collect a Legend ability token, which is the paper scroll for the Protector, Place it on the leftmost empty space on your legend ability track. In the case of Emmy, gain a barbed wire or path token every time you do this. If you collect more legend ability tokens than you have space for, discard the extras back to the box. When you collect any other ability tokens, which are move, spawn and strengthen, place them on the leftmost empty spaces in the corresponding rows on your faction board, leveling up that ability for future turns. When playing as the family and you collect a Legend Ability token, which would be a paper scroll, place it on the leftmost empty space on your Legend Ability track. When you do this, upgrade your Legend Ability. In the case of Levy, This upgrades your Storm ability. If you collect more Legend ability tokens than you have space for, discard the extras back to the component tray. All other ability tokens claimed, which would be Move, Spawn and Strengthen, are placed with the other ability tokens you use this turn. Now, you have a choice for the ability tokens that are in front of you which includes the ones you just played this turn and the ones you claimed from the board this turn, not the ones still remaining in your bag though. For each ability token in front of you, you can either place it on the next empty space on your faction board, leveling up how many tokens you can draw from the bag on future turns, tokens placed on your faction board will remain there for the rest of the game, You may also place it back in your bag, giving you a better chance of drawing this token again on a future turn. After having collected the ability tokens, you may attempt to complete your objectives. The family wants to destroy Harrow County, whereas the protectors want to rescue the townsfolk of Harrow County. The actions you complete each turn help you towards these goals. At the end of your turn, check to see if you have made any progress toward achieving your faction's objective. The Protectors, save the townsfolk of Harrow County. The Protectors are sworn to that very task, protecting the people of Harrow County. The woods, hollows, and forgotten places are teeming with haints, and it can be a dangerous place for those who wander too far, especially in the dead of night. Emmy, Bernice, Lovey, the abandoned, and the skinless boy keep a keen eye out for those who get themselves into trouble, escorting them from dark and dangerous places to the quiet comfort of home. Saving Townsfolk. If you have a unit or a path token on the same hex as Townsfolk, and you also have a unit or a path token on an adjacent hex, you can move the townsperson for free to that hex. Reminder: Townsfolk can never go on the brambles. You can continue moving Townsfolk from Hex to Hex for free, if you have at least one unit or pat token on each adjacent Hex. Therefore, it is possible to have a contiguous line of your units that lead from Townsfolk all the way back to your home Hex that allows Townsfolk to move all the way home for free. Once Townsfolk are on your home Hex, you have rescued them. Discard them and gain two points on your scoring dial. The Family Destroy Harrow County When Hester Beck came to Harrow County, she broke many long-standing laws the family hold dear. Now, they fear Emmy is walking a similar path. As far as the family is concerned, Harrow County and everyone in it represents an abominable affront and it must be destroyed. They are rootless in their quest to raise Harrow to the ground, and their magic summons fearsome, destructive storms that ravage anything in their path. Destroying Harrow County Buildings At the end of your turn, if your legend is on a hex that doesn't have a storm on it, place a storm token on that hex. Reminder: Storms cannot be placed on the brambles. If placing a storm on a hex makes a contiguous path of storms that connect a hex with a building to your home hex, you have destroyed that building. Discard the destroyed building and gain two points on your scoring dial. Once you have taken your single mason jar action, and perform cleanup, your turn is over. It is now the other player's turn. Alternate taking turns, activating mason jars, until both players have three mason jars flipped to their broken side, and then proceed into phase two. Phase two, scoring and a round reset. First, check to see if a player earns a brambles point. The Brambles, an area brimming with magical power that both the family and protectors want to control, is the hex in the middle of every map. If you have at least one unit on the Brambles at the end of a round, you earn one point. Reminder Each round consists of players taking three turns each, so, do not check for Brambles points after each individual turn. Only check for Bramble's points at the end of each round after each player has taken their three turns. Or, in other words, when each player has three mason jars turned face down to the broken side. After this step, check to see if a player has scored enough points to win the game. After you have awarded any Bramble's points, check to see if either player has won the game. The player needs 7 points to win the game. A round must be fully completed before you check the score. In the event that both players have more than 7 points, the player with more points wins. In the event of a tie, the player who currently has the first player token wins. If neither player has won, give the first player a token to the player who did not have it this round. Keep in mind this does mean that they will effectively get two turns in a row, which would be the last Mason jar flip in the previous round and the first Mason jar flip in the next round. So plan wisely. And finally, refresh the Mason jars. Prepare for a new round by refreshing your Mason jars by flipping the three broken Mason jars you used to take your turns last round to be face up again. All four of your mason jars should now be face-up. Continue to the next round. Congratulations! You've just completed Chapter 1 of Harrow County. Feel free to replay this chapter to get a handle on basic Harrow County gameplay. Swap factions, try a different strategy, and try playing on a different map. When you feel ready, proceed to Chapter 2 which will introduce new gameplay elements. Chapter 2 The members of the family are strange, mercurial beings. Some, if they were to speak in blasphemous tones, might even call them godlike. They are the siblings of Hester Beck, though they have no love for their falling sister. They follow cruel laws established long ago, the breaking of which results in cruel punishments. As far as they're concerned, Harrow County deserves to be wiped from the earth because of its connection to Hester. Each of the family possesses weird, magical abilities. For example, Levy, the self-proclaimed leader of the group, is a psychopomp tasked with guiding the dead to the afterlife, as well as guiding the living from one stage of life to the next. To this end, he can create visions, communicate with the dead, summon others who might be helplessly enthralled to him. As the family worms its way into our world, their powers grow and change in unusual ways. The protectors must resort to their wits and cunning to defeat the ever-growing power of their foes. Your second game uses most of the same setup and round structure as your first game, but there are a few things that are different. Among the new components for Chapter 2, you will find tactic cards for the protectors, upgrade cards for the family, upgrade ability tokens for the family, as well as new legend components for both protectors and the family. Set up for chapter two. In chapter two, you can choose any legend from the family or the protectors. You may take a moment to read each legend's unique power before making your selection and equipping your legend protectors can choose Emmy, Malachi, or Bernice. Note that Bernice and Malachi come with additional components, which are Malachi's Fury token and Bernice's two iron nail tokens. In chapter 2 and all later chapters, you will play with the side of the family and protector faction boards that have three cards under the faction name. This icon refers to a new component. Each player now starts with their own deck of cards. Protectors start with tactic cards and the family starts with upgrade cards. Each player shuffles their deck and draws three cards to start the game, as indicated now at the bottom of each player's faction board. Place the rest of the deck face down in your possessions. The family now starts with six upgrade tokens that are placed in their possessions. Also, ability tokens placement is now randomized. To set them up, take one of each ability token into your hand, shake them up, and pull one out. Place this type of token on every yellow plane's hex with the ability token on it. Then, draw another token and place this type of token on every green forest hex with the ability token icon. Repeat placing the token type on the brown bog hexes with the ability token icon. And finally, place the remaining token type on all of the teal wetlands hexes with the ability token icon. After setting up the ability tokens, follow all other setup steps from chapter 1. Upgraded Protector Faction Board You can now see that there are card icons where some of the ability tokens are placed. Whenever you place an ability token such that it covers up a card icon, you draw one card into your hand. Upgraded Family Faction Board You can now see new numbers indicating how many ability tokens you draw out of your bag when you take an ability mason jar action, draw the number of tokens indicated in the big circle above the space with the rightmost ability token, look at them, and put back in your bag the number shown with the minus in front of it. For example, at the start of the game, you can draw four tokens out of your bag, look at them, and then put one of them back into your bag. If you don't have enough tokens to draw out of the bag as indicated, then you will put back into the bag that many fewer tokens. For example, if you are able to pull seven tokens and put back three, but you only have six tokens into your bag, which is one less than seven, then you will only be putting two tokens back, which is one less than three. In this way, you would still be activating four tokens this turn. Cards. In addition to all the abilities and actions you learned in Chapter 1, you will now play with special cards specific to your faction. Protector get Tactics cards and the family gets upgrade cards and the upgrade tokens. Protector Tactics cards. You can play one Tactics card per turn before or after an action, but not in the middle of an action. For example, if you choose to move and your move is at five, you cannot move three, then play a card, and then move two. You must move five at once, but you can play a card before or after this action. Once you enter the cleanup part of your turn, you cannot play any cards. Family Upgrade Cards and Tokens. When you take the Abilities Mason Jar action, you can also now play one of the upgrade cards that you have in your hand. Each upgrade card has a cost to play it, an Ability Token listed on the top left of the card. To play an upgrade card, you must have drawn that Ability Token out of your bag this turn. Discard that Ability Token to the box and replace it with the upgraded Ability Token from your possessions indicated on the upgrade card. You can use this new upgrade token this turn. At the end of your turn, you can put it in your bag as you would the other tiles you use each turn or place it on your faction board if you prefer. Now, each time you draw tiles from your bag, you have a chance to draw this new upgraded ability. If you have an upgraded ability token that lets you do multiple things, then those things must be done together at the same time. For example, if the family plays an upgraded move token that gives them two move, then they need to resolve both those moves before playing any other ability token. If you drew or upgraded the Knitting Fate or Knife in the Dark, gain your Strength Strengthen Cube and place those upgraded strengthened tokens on top of your attack mason jar token. These will activate the next time you activate that mason jar, then return to your bag. You can keep all upgrade cards you play face up in front of you to remind you what the upgrade tokens do. Once you enter the cleanup part of your turn, you cannot play any cards. Here are the upgrade tokens available to the family. The Meeting Lodge token allows you to move twice. When you use the Storm Walker token, in whatever order you choose, move once, and each of your units can move for free onto an adjacent hex with a storm on it. You can ignore the extra cost to move onto mountains for this action. Remember that you must do this move and the movement of all your units onto hexes with storms as one action and it cannot be interrupted with another action. The Faceless token allows you to spawn twice. The Distant Stirring token allows you to spawn once. Then, the Haint you just spawn and any other haints spawned this turn can be placed up to two hexes away from your legend. The Sound and Fury token allows you to Strengthen twice. And the Knitting Fate token allows you to Strengthen once and then place this token on top of your Attack Mason Jar. The next time you attack, all your units will have plus one range. There are a few things to consider during Chapter 2. The Protectors can play one card per turn. While the family can only play one card per round, which is when they activate their abilities Mason Jar. Protectors should pay attention to how they get more cards. They might not want to increase their spawn ability, for example, but if you just need one more spawn to get another card, maybe it's worth it. The family should pay attention to their track and when it means you can activate more ability tokens. For example, With no or only one ability token placed, you'll be activating three ability tokens, either 4-1 or 5-2. Once you've placed a second ability token onto your track, then you're now activating four ability tokens, which would be 5-1. All game end triggers and win conditions are the same as Chapter 1. Also, the first player token still rotates between players as it did in chapter one. Congrats, you just completed chapter two. You may want to replay this chapter using a variety of protectors and family legends just to get a feel for each of their unique abilities. Once you feel comfortable with all of the gameplay elements introduced so far, continue on to chapter three which introduces the final elements you need to know to play the full game of Harrow County with the family and protectors. Chapter 3 The struggle between the protectors and the family is dangerous and it will take keen mind and wrought iron nerves to survive. As the battle intensifies, the land itself bends to the will of the forces of good and evil. Quick decision-making and guile are rewarded. The destruction of Haints, though, becomes more difficult and less rewarding as time wears on. Chapter 3 builds on the foundations you've learned in Chapter 1 and 2. But there are a few things that are different, especially during setup. Follow the following setup directions, and then... Listen to the rest of the chapter three rules to learn more about the gameplay elements introduced in this chapter. Chapter three adds only one new kind of component, which are the eight new bonus styles. Here's a setup for chapter three. We'll first go over the same setup as we've seen in chapter one, and then towards the end of the setup, We'll see the new elements introduced in this chapter. For chapter three, choose any legend from the family or the protectors. The protectors can choose Emmy, Malachi, or Bernice. Note that Bernice and Malachi come with additional components, which are Malachi's fury token and Bernice's two iron nail tokens. The family can choose Levi, Corbin, or Odessa. Here's a setup of the map for chapter 3. First, randomly choose any map from the box and place it in the center of the table so that a home hex is in front of each player. Then, randomize the ability token's placement. So, take one of each ability token into your hand, shake them, and pull one out. Place this type of token on every yellow plane's hex with the ability token icon. Then draw another token and place this type of token on every green forest hex with the ability token icon. Then repeat this process by placing the token type on the brown bog hexes with the ability token icon. And finally place the remaining token type on all the teal wetlands hexes with the ability token icon. After you've placed these ability tokens, you should have tokens on every terrain hex the terrain hexes are the four colored hexes, not the mountains or the brambles, except the home hexes and hexes adjacent to the home hexes. Here's a setup of the faction board and cards for Chapter 3. Play with the side of the family and protector faction boards that have three cards under a faction name. The protectors start with tactic cards and the family starts with upgrade cards. Each player shuffles their deck and draws three to start the game, as indicated now at the bottom of each player's faction board. Place the rest of the deck face down in your possessions. Then place your legend token on the home hex on your side of the map. Place three haints of your color On the home hex with your legend token. All four pieces should be sharing the same hex. Then, place the scoreboard off to one side and set each player's score to zero. Here's a setup to equip your legends Place your faction's legend ability track below your character board. For the protectors, take the three barbed wire or path tokens and place one on each of the empty spaces on the legend ability track. The fourth barbed wire or pat token is placed beside your faction board in your possessions, which is the area next to your faction board. It is available to use from the start of the game. As for the family, place all the storm tokens in your possessions near your faction board. You have access to all of them from the start of the game. Then, take one wild token into your possessions. The rest can be placed near the middle of the table, accessible to both players. The player playing as the family should also grab the family's bag and place four move, two spawn, and two strengthen tokens into the bag and shake it up. Place all remaining hints of your color into your possessions. You'll be able to add them to the map throughout the game. The family also starts with six upgrade tokens, that are placed in their possessions. Here's a setup for the mason jars. Place your four mason jars face up in the spaces on the scoreboard so that each of you has one of each and opposite the same one on your opponent's side, on your side of the scoreboard. Here's a setup for the cube tower in Battleground. The cube tower is how you resolve combat in this game. Arrange the cube tower next to the battleground so that cubes will fall out of the bottom of the cube tower and spill out onto the battleground. Each player starts with three cubes of their color on their side of the battleground. There are squares where each cube can be placed on each side. Place the remaining cubes for each player next to the battleground on their side. Here are the new elements of setup for Chapter 3. Determine the first player. For this step, shuffle the new bonus tiles. Each player takes a turn flipping over a bonus tile and placing it face up between two mason jars of the same type, which would be between each player. If a player reveals the bonus tile with the first player token, then give that player the first player token and fill up the rest of the four spots between mason jars with a face-up bonus style. To clarify, the bonus style that has the lantern is placed face-up between two mason jars. The end result should be four face-up bonus styles, which would be one between each set of matching mason jar tokens and one is the lantern bonus style, and then one player holding the first player token. If the bonus style with the first player token hasn't been revealed after all four slots have been filled, continue taking turns flipping over tiles off to the side until it is revealed. Give the first player token to the player who flipped it over. Then shuffle the four bonus tiles that aren't on the scoreboard and place them in a the face down pile. Now let's look at another new component for Chapter 3, which is the Haint Dial. As of Chapter 3, You will now use the Spoons on the Haint dial. Ensure Spoons are pointing at the one Haint icon. The last new element of setup for Chapter 3 is that the Townsfolk and Buildings do not all start on the board. Place a Townsfolk onto each of the different terrain spaces on the Protectors Player side of the scoreboard and place a Building onto each of the different terrain spaces on the family player side of the scoreboard. Before the game starts, each of you will place one of your opponent's townsfolk or buildings on the map. The player with the first player token will place first, followed by the second player. Once there is one townsfolk and one building on the map, this part of the setup is complete. The family must place one townsfolk onto any terrain hex on the board, which would be the Yellow Plains, Brown Bog, Teal Wetlands, or Green Forest. Whichever terrain hex you want to place the townsfolk on must match the terrain on the scoreboard where the townsfolk was removed. For example, if you want to place your opponent's townsfolk on a teal wetlands, then you must remove the townsfolk from the scoreboard that is on the teal wetlands. It cannot be placed on hexes with your units or buildings. The protectors must place one building onto any terrain hex on the board. Whichever terrain hex you want to place the building on must match the terrain on the scoreboard where the building was removed. If you want to place your opponent's building on a brown bog, then you must remove the building from the scoreboard that is on the brown bog. It cannot be placed on hexes with your units. At the start of subsequent rounds, you'll each place one of your opponent's townsfolk or buildings on the map. These pieces must be placed following the same rules. They must be placed on a terrain that has an available townsfolk or building with the matching terrain on the scoreboard. They cannot be placed on hexes with your units or townsfolk or buildings. And if it is impossible to place a townsfolk or building because all legal hexes are blocked, then it will not be placed this round. It isn't lost, but you'll have to place it on your fifth round. If there are no more townsfolk or buildings left to place, then skip this phase completely. Haint Dial Killing haints is now going to get a bit harder. At the start of the game, point the haint dial to the image of one haint. The first haint you kill will still give you one point. But you then rotate the haint dial clockwise so that it points to two haints. Now, you need to kill two haints to get one more point. Then, when you have killed two more haints, rotate the haint dial to point to three haints. From now on, you need to kill three haints to get one point. Whenever you kill a haint that doesn't give you a point, place it onto the haint dial collect haints here until you reach a threshold required to score. When you kill enough haints to give you a point, remove all haints from the haint dial and return them to your opponent's possessions. The Bonus Tiles When you choose a mason jar and there's still a face-up bonus tile above it, you can activate that bonus before or after your action during your turn. Flip it face down once activated. Here are the possible bonus tiles. For the first player token tile, you would gain or retain the control of the lantern. If you are the starting player and already have the lantern, then taking this has no effect, except denying your opponent the chance to get it. If you are the second player, then you will take the lantern token immediately. If there are still more turns left in this round, Then you will get another turn to flip a mason jar before your opponent. You still only get to flip three mason jars this turn. Important. The first player token still changes hands at the end of each round. The next bonus tile is the move tile. Move once when you activate this. You do not gain a move ability token. You simply get to move Once. The next tile is the spawn tile. Spawn once. You do not gain a spawn ability token. You simply get to spawn once. The next tile is the strengthen tile. Strengthen once by adding one cube to the battleground. You do not gain a strengthen ability token. You simply get to strengthen once. The next bonus tile is the plus one minus one card. When you activate this, draw one card, then discard any one card from your hand to the bottom of your deck. It has no effect if you have no cards in your hand. The next bonus style is the Wild. Take one more Wild token into your possessions. This bonus style does not allow you to activate your Wild tokens. You just have one more in your possessions, increasing the number of Wild tokens you'll be able to activate when you take the wild mason jar action, which could be this action if this bonus style was assigned to the wild mason jar slot. The next bonus style is the legend move. When you activate this, move your legend to any adjacent hex by ignoring extra costs for storm or mountain, but do not carry any haints with you. The last bonus style is the rotate Hain dial. When you activate this, rotate the hain dial down from three to two, or from two to one. If it is already at one, then it has no effect. Important: Rotating the Hain dial down may allow you to score immediately if you already have Hanes stored on your Hain dial. For example, if you needed three Hanes to score and already had two stored on the Hain dial when you took this bonus tile. Rotating the hang dial down to 2 means you're immediately able to score. If you score in this way, remove the haints and rotate the hang dial up again. After both players have activated 3 Mason jars, remove all face down bonus tiles and place a new bonus tile in every slot on the scoreboard. Do this from left to right. If you run out of tiles, Shuffle the previously used ones to form a new deck. If there's already a tile from a previous round, because no one activated that ability, add a second bonus tile to that slot. The next person to choose that mason jar will get to activate both of these bonus tiles. End of round. At the end of the round, you still pass the first player token to the other player, even if you took the first player token from them during this round. There are a few things to consider in chapter three. There's a way to remind yourself to place the townsfolk in buildings. Keep the bonus tiles near the side of the scoreboard with the townsfolk and buildings to remind you both to place these at the start of every round. With killing units giving you fewer points, it might make the brambles and the townsfolk and buildings more of a focus. Now, how offensive versus defensive do you want to be? All game and triggers and win conditions are the same as in chapter 1. Congrats! You just finished chapter 3. Play a few more times experimenting with how to place townsfolk and buildings to disrupt your opponent's plans when to activate certain bonus styles, and how the new hate dial affects the pace of scoring. When you're ready, move on to Chapter 4. Chapter 4 But Emmy wasn't the only infant found inside the killing tree. A second child was discovered that night. While Emmy was taken in and raised by a kind family, her twin sister, Cami, was spirited away to the big city. There, she was raised to be devious and cruel. Now, she has returned to Harrow County, hoping to steal Emmy's power for herself and claim her rightful position of power. In an effort to thwart her bid for dominance, the protectors have banished Cami's life essence into an old rag doll. Cammy searches high and low across Harrow for the doll. She owes no allegiance to the Protectors nor the family, and she will gladly destroy both groups in order to achieve her goals. In chapter four, one player will play as Cammy, and the other will play as any one of the available Family or Protector Legends. Family and Protector Legends have access to all of the cards, tokens, abilities, etc. that have been introduced in previous chapters. Here's the setup for chapter 4. First, follow the chapter 3 setup directions for the protectors or the family and add in these steps for Kami. First, place the Kami faction board and her action grid in front of you. Then, Shuffle the deck of 10 Goblin cards and take 3 into your hand. Place the rest in a face down deck in your possessions. Then take 2 of each ability token, which would be 2 move, 2 spawn, and 2 strengthen, from the box and place each randomly in an empty space of Kami's action grid until all spaces are filled. Then Take one move ability token from the box and place it to the left of the action grid. Then choose one goblin character board and matching goblin token. The other goblin legend tokens can be discarded from the game. You get to play with the kami legend token in addition to the goblin legend token matching the goblin you chose so you will have two legend tokens in play. Ensure you keep it secret from your opponents which token is the Goblin and which is Kami. When placing and moving your tokens, make sure that the Kami or Goblin illustration is facing you and not your opponent, so that only you can see which token is which. Then take one unique Legend Ability token and place it near your Goblin character board. Place the kami's Legend Ability track below the Goblin character board you chose. Place your Goblin token on one of the empty hexes behind your home hex. Then, place the Kami token on a different empty hex behind your home hex. Kami's three hates can be distributed in any way between the following hexes, which are your home hex, the hex occupied by Kami, or the hex occupied by your Goblin. In other words, you have three total haints to place, and they can be placed on any of those hexes. Your opponent must take the three doll tokens and secretly place one face down on each of the hexes behind their home hex. One doll token is the real doll token, and the other two, which are the ones with the X on their heads, are decoys. Note your opponent can always look at any of the doll tokens whenever they want. It is only a secret to you which doll token is the real one that contains your essence. Similar to the way you are able to distribute your haints, your opponent also places their three starting haints on any combination of their home hex or the hexes containing a doll token. Next, Use Cammy's purple mason jars on the scoreboard. Then, place the purple strengthened cubes in your possessions. Place three on your side of the battleground. And finally, the rest of the setup occurs following chapter 3's directions, using all of the components you've learned about so far. During setup and play, make sure you keep the following things in mind. The function of the spoons on the hand dial. The placement of buildings, family legend upgrade tokens, and storms for the family player. The placement of townsfolk, barbed wire or pack tokens for the protectors. Using bonus tiles to determine first player and throughout the game. And setting up the map with ability tokens. The Gameplay Basic Abilities Rules for Kami All units whether they belong to Kami or her opponent, can pick up or drop the doll tokens when they are on the same hex as a doll token. Important: There can never be more than one doll token on a hex. If a unit carrying a doll token is moved by an opponent, it's up to the unit's owner if they want to bring the doll token with them or drop it in the hex they are being moved from. Spawn. Kami can spawn on either of her legends or onto her home hex. Kami's Abilities Mason Jar. First, decides which row you want to activate in your action grid. To activate a row, take the ability token that is to the left of the action grid, so at the start of the game, this is a move token, and push the current tokens in that row to the right one space. The end result will be that there are three tokens in the row two abilities on the action grid that will be activated this turn, and one token in the black zone that will not be activated. When Kami activates the two abilities on her action grid, she activates each ability according to the number above the rightmost ability token in that ability row on her faction board. Each of these actions must be completed as a single action. All three moves would need to be completed, for example, before you strengthen. However, you could play a card between these separate actions. It is possible that you might activate the same ability twice. Kami's Legend Mason Jar. Kami's Legend Ability. Kami has the ability to replay her cards. When activated, you can replay one, two, three, or four of the cards you've played that are still active next to your goblin, depending on how many legend ability tokens, which are the scrolls, that you have. Playing Goblin Cards. Kami starts the game with three goblin cards and can get more whenever she covers up a card icon on the faction board with an ability token. Kami can play one goblin card per turn. The effect of each goblin card is always based on your goblin token on the map. Some goblin cards might have you spawn a haint up to three hexes away from your goblin, while others might have you moving enemy haints within two hexes of your goblin. It's often in your best interest to keep hidden which legend token is Kami and which is the goblin. In order to keep this information hidden, you would have to target a hex that was true for both legend tokens. For example, if you are able to spawn a haint up to 3 hexes away from your goblin, then you might be motivated to place this new haint such that it is up to 3 hexes away from both your legend tokens. That way, your opponent will not know which Legend is your Goblin. If you spawn a Haint such that it was only up to 3 hexes away from one Legend token, then you are clearly telling your opponent that it is the Goblin token and the other is Cammy. Use your cards carefully when you play as Cammy. Goblin cards are activated when they come into play and played Goblin cards stay in play. The Goblin card may be activated again if the Legend Mason Jar is chosen. You can play cards even if your Goblin has been previously attacked. Unique Goblin Powers The Goblins each have a unique power that can only be used once per game. Once they're used, discard that token from play. When you take the Legend Mason Jar action, You do not have to activate the unique goblin power. It's your choice. For the trickster, discard a unique legend ability token to move a doll token from a hex adjacent to this goblin onto the hex with this goblin. This power can be activated even if the doll token is on a hex with enemy units. For the brute, discard a unique legend ability token to move every legend yours and your opponent's, two hexes, ignoring storm and mountain costs. They cannot carry any other haints with them. If an enemy unit has a doll token, they can choose to carry that with them as well. Getting attacked. If one of your legends is successfully attacked, you must reveal which legend it is. If it was a goblin, you must discard all goblin cards that were played on the goblin. That legend remains revealed, so lay it face up. If it was Kami that was successfully attacked, your opponent gets to switch the position of all the doll tokens that aren't currently sharing hexes with their units. Doll tokens that are alone on their hex, or on hexes with one or more of your units, can swap locations. It can be secret whether they swapped or not, so look away while your opponent does this. The hexes that have doll tokens on them must also have doll tokens on them after they are all redistributed. Cleanup Just like the protectors and family, if you collect a legend ability token, which is the paper scroll, place it on the leftmost empty space on your legend ability track. For all other ability tokens claimed, which would be move, spawn, and strengthen, place them on the leftmost empty spaces in the corresponding row of your faction board. For the doll token, if either of your legends, so Kami or a goblin, is on a hex with a doll token during cleanup, flip the doll token over to reveal what it is. If it's a decoy doll, remove that token from play. If the Legend is not Kami, leave the doll face up for all to see. Legends or Haints can carry this doll token around with them on future turns. If Kami is on the same hex as the doll token that contains her essence during cleanup, she collects that doll token and gains 4 points. Remember, only one doll token can ever be on the same hex. When Cammie first came to Harrow County, she tried to befriend Emmy. Her friendship, though, was tainted and her sisterly love soon turned to jealousy and rage. She tried to kill Emmy and take her place. In the end, though, Cammie was defeated and banished deep into the bowels of the earth. It's difficult, though, to keep a bad witch down. Cammy secreted her own life essence into an old rag doll. Through this doll, she maintained a finger hold on life, so that she might return more powerful than ever. Game end. The game ends the same way as it did in previous chapters. The first player to reach seven points triggers the end of the game. Finish the round the player with the most points wins, with ties going to the player with the first player token. Keep in mind that if you're playing as the protectors or the family, you still have the same win conditions. But now you have to try to prevent Cammy from getting her win conditions by protecting the doll. Chapter 5 The feud for the heart and soul of Harrow County all started with the witch, Hester Beck. When Hester first appeared in Harrow County, she was not welcomed. She had great power, but the townsfolk rejected her kindness. If she offered to heal the sick, they recoiled from her touch. If she delivered a sermon, they refused to listen. At first, Hester tried to force her will upon the townsfolk. She conjured serpents that slithered into the flesh of those who opposed her. These snakes seized control of their victims' minds, turning them into Hester's puppets. It was folk magic that cast the serpents out, but it could not put an end to Hester's dark urges. The witch took to the woods to live out her days, there, in order to keep company, she called Haints up from the dark places. Even though these ghosts and goblins worshipped and protected her, she felt alone. And so, she set about shaping new followers for herself. She raised men and women from the mud, each and every one of them seeming as human, as the people who had rejected her. She sent them out to live amongst the county folk to serve her interest and spread word of her kindness. Free will, though, turned these sheep into wolves. Eventually they turned on Hester, themselves, and they helped the people of Harrow County put the witch to death. Feared by the townsfolk and loathed by her own kind, Hester waits, even in death. the day of her return. Her corruptive power spreads like the roots of the hanging tree through the land. When she rises, she will send her serpents into the world. She will raise new haints to serve her whim. She will feast upon the flesh of others in order to claim their power. She will rule as a goddess once more. The three player game, Hester. Want to play with three players? You will be adding Hester as the third player. To clarify, Hester will always be the third player and you cannot play Hester in a two player game. Hester is trying to come back to life. Once she comes back to life, she then wants to eat other legends to gain their powers. If she can't eat enough of the other legends, she will come back to life with all of her powers, and she wins. It's important that all players have previously played a two-player version of the game before jumping into a three-player game. The Hester player, specifically, would benefit from understanding how the other players work and what they're each trying to accomplish. Here's the setup for the third player playing Hester. Place the Hester Faction Board face-up in front of you. Place the six bonfire tokens on the three bonfire spaces of the Faction Board, which would be two bonfire tokens per space. Then, place one bonfire token to the left of your Faction Board. Place the remaining bonfires nearby but to the right of your Faction Board, which would be in your possessions so as to not confuse them with the bonfire token on the left. Next, place all six root tokens in your possessions. After this, shuffle the Hester card deck and draw four cards. Next, place all the snakes nearby. Place the remaining bonfires in your possessions so as to not confuse them with the bonfire token on the left. And finally, Hester always plays third in a three-player game. Hester should be between each of her opponents so that her faction board is placed with one side pointing to one opponent and the other side pointing to the other opponent. Turn Details Hester will play third after the two other players have taken a turn. On her turn, she does the following. First. Place or move roots and gain cubes. You'll be placing two root tokens onto the board. Choose any one set of the same colored roots each turn, which are brown or black roots. For your very first root of the game, choose one hex that is on the edge of the map. On this hex, place a root token that is half off the map and half on the map with the arrow pointing into the map. From a hex that has a root entering it, place a root that touches this hex and any adjacent hex with the arrow pointing into the new hex. You cannot point a root such that it points back off the map. You cannot point a root such that it points back to a hex with the root placed this turn or in previous turns you cannot place a root on a hex with a barbed wire token on it. The next step of the turn is to remove previous roots. Once two roots have been placed, remove the other roots from the board that were played in the previous turn. After this, gain cubes. For each hex that has a root token on it this turn, Gain a cube matching the color of that hex terrain. This means that on your first turn, you will get up to two cubes, and every subsequent turn, you will get up to three cubes. If you place a root on a bog, gain a brown cube. On a forest, gain a green cube. On a plains, get a yellow cube. On a wetlands, gain a teal cube. On mountains, gain nothing and on brambles also gain nothing. Note. The terrain cubes are finite, so if there are no cubes of a specific color available, then you don't get any cube. If you enter a bonfire hex with a root, add another bonfire token from the box to this hex. More on bonfire soon, but effectively, You increase its defense every time you enter a bonfire hex with a root. Actions. The number of actions you get is equal to the number of bonfire tokens to the left of your faction board. So, at the start of the game, you have one action, which is indicated by the bonfire token placed to the left of Hester's board. You gain one more action for each bonfire you create. Your possible actions are to play a card, which you can do only once per turn. Place one more root and gain one more cube, which you can also do once per turn. Spawn a Haint, which you can only do once per turn. Move Infected haints and Hester, which you can do as much as you can afford. Drop cubes in the tower to do either or both of these actions, which are to infect Haints, which you can do as much as you can afford, or to even summon Hester. These two actions are always last in a turn. The last possible action is to take a free action, which is to activate a card that you have face up in front of you. To take an action, place the bonfire token On your left side of your faction board, and not the one on your faction board, and cover up the action you want to activate. Play a card, only once per turn. To play a card, choose a card from your hand and place it face up in its own pile. If you already have three piles of face up cards that have been played, then you must play this card on top of one of those piles which removes the covered card from play. You can only have 3 cards active at any one time. You can now activate that card if you wish, or activate later in this turn, or not at all. Play one more root and gain one more cube, only once per turn. Add one more root matching the same color of root as the other two you placed this turn, and follow all other rules for placing roots. Then, gain a cube matching the color of the terrain it touches. Since the roots from the previous turn have already been removed, you're allowed to revisit a hex from a previous turn with this third root token if you want. Spawn Haint can only do once per turn. Hester can discard a cube matching the terrain color of a player's home hex or the hex where the legend is located to spawn one of that player's haint on that hex. While it might seem an unwise thing to do, sometimes you run out of haints to infect, so you have to spawn your own. This haint comes out uninfected and Hester cannot control it until it is infected. If the legend is on the brambles or on a mountain, you cannot spawn onto that hex. Move infected Haints and Hester, which you can do as much as you can afford to. You'll learn how to infect Haints very shortly. Hester will be infecting Haints in later action. Once infected, you can move infected Haints, and once Hester is on the map, you can move her too. To move an infected haint onto an adjacent hex, discard a cube from your possessions that matches the color of the terrain of the hex you are moving onto. You can also discard any two cubes to move an infected haint onto any hex, including onto a mountain or onto the brambles. To move Hester onto an adjacent hex, discard two cubes from your possessions that match the color of the terrain of the hex you are moving onto. To move Hester onto the brambles or onto a mountain, discard any 2 cubes from your possessions. Storms do not affect Hester's movement. You cannot move an infected haint onto a hex with an enemy uninfected haints, but you can move an infected haint onto a hex with that player's uninfected haints. To clarify, you can move a red infected haint onto a hex with red uninfected units, but you cannot move a red infected haint onto a hex with blue infected or uninfected units since they would be of different colors. In this example, you could only move the infected haint onto other units of the same color. Next. You cannot move an infected haint onto a hex with a townsfolk or a building unless it's from the same faction with matching colors. Also, you can move Esther onto any hex, even with any haint or legend on it, unless it has a barbed wire token on it. Make bonfires. This is not an action. And just the result of moving infected haints. If you can move an infected haint from one enemy onto the same hex as an infected haint from the other enemy, normally it's not allowed to have units from different players on the same hex, but Hester can make this happen when they're infected, well then you make a bonfire. To clarify, You cannot move an infected haint onto a hex with any number of uninfected haints from the other enemy. You can only move an infected haint onto an adjacent hex with enemy units if they're all infected. When you make a bonfire, take the pair of rightmost bonfire tokens off your faction board and place them both on the hex with the two infected haints. If you have no bonfire tokens on your faction board, you cannot make any more bonfires. Next, remove both red infected or uninfected haints and place both of them together in any of the empty spaces on your faction board where you normally would place tokens you've eaten from your opponents. Making bonfires will help you get closer to winning. After this, push anything else still in the Hex with the Bonfire to an adjacent Hex of your choice. Each item in that Hex can be pushed to a different Hex. If there are other Infected haints, Townsfolk, Buildings, or Path Tokens, or Unique Legend Tokens on this Hex, then they are pushed to an adjacent Hex of your choice. Gain one more action per turn. Gain one more bonfire token and add it to the left of your faction board. You immediately gain one more action this turn and every subsequent turn. You will never decrease how many actions you have, but you can increase it by making more bonfires. Hester's greatest crime in the eyes of the family was establishing herself as a god among the haints and townsfolk of Harrow. She wanted nothing so much as to be loved, and she saw affection in the eyes of those who worshipped her. She drew strength and energy from the reverence of her followers. As they danced and sang around raging bonfires on special nights, Hester's own blood boiled with excitement. Bonfire effect. No units can be placed or moved onto a hex with a bonfire, with the exception of Hester herself. As a reminder, if a root token enters a hex with a bonfire, you add one more bonfire token to that hex. How can other players remove bonfires? Both of your opponents can attack the bonfire, The opponent chooses the attack mason jar, declares the attacking hex and the defending hex, which would be the hex with the bonfire. Whichever hex has more units gains one cube. Each bonfire token counts as one unit, but could have three more if Hester is on it. Hester has a value of three units. If the Hester player gains a cube because it has more units than the attacker, then the cube will be the same color of the terrain of the Hex with the bonfire. Drop all strengthened cubes from both non-Hester players, along with all of Hester's terrain cubes, into the cube tree. All of the cubes. If the attacker has the same or more cubes than Hester, then the attack is successful and the attacker can spend as many cubes as they want. For each cube spent, discard one bonfire token from the Hex that was attacked. If there are no more bonfire tokens on a Hex, then the bonfire is doused and that player gains 1 point. The bonfire token is removed from the board, but does not go back onto Hester's board. Reminder A bonfire could have had more bonfire tokens on it if roots were placed onto this hex. There are two more possible actions you can do as Hester, but the last two actions below must be the last actions you do in a turn. So, ensure you've done any action previously described before moving onto these final two actions. You may only infect Haints or summon Hester after cubes fall from the tree. Cube drop and spend cubes. Take all cubes, the other player's strengthen cubes, and your terrain cubes, and drop them into the cube tree. Any terrain cubes that come out are able to be used this turn by Hester. Infect Haints. To take this action, place a bonfire token on the infect haint space. To infect a haint, You can discard a cube matching the color of terrain that has a root token and an uninfected haint. You could also discard any 3 cubes to infect any uninfected haint on a hex with a root token on it. Take a snake from your possessions and place it into the ear of the haint. It is now an infected haint you can only infect one haint per hex with a root token. If there are multiple units on a hex, the owner of those units decides what is infected. If a legend is infected, it means Hester can infect any of that player's haints on the map. What can other players do with infected haints? On a turn for a player who's playing against Hester, they can move their infected haints around as if they were normal haints. They can attack with their own infected haints as well. They can even pick up ability tokens on the board. Effectively, they're exactly like their normal haints on their turn. But when it's Hester's turn, Hester can also move them around as described earlier. Attacking infected haints. It's possible to attack infected haints. If they're alone in their hex, then the attack happens as described in the attack section. If an infected haint is on a hex with any other unit, the infected haint will always be killed last in an attack. To clarify, if a hex is attacked that has one haint and two infected haints, the uninfected haint Would need to be killed first before the two infected haints could be killed. If a legend is attacked, then, as usual, the attacking player can kill any haint on the map. However, if an infected haint is on the same hex as an uninfected haint, the uninfected haint must be killed first. To clarify, you can only kill an infected haint when a legend is attacked that has no uninfected hains or a legend on this hex as well. Summon Hester. To take this action, place a bonfire token on the Summon Hester space. Hester needs a certain quantity of the same colored cube to come out. Those cubes would have to match the color of terrain where one of your bonfires is located. If you have no bonfires out, then Hester cannot come back to life. Once your first bonfire is out, the quantity of the same colored cubes needed starts at 3, but every time you place another bonfire, it reduces by 1. To bring Hester out, discard that many cubes and place Hester on the hex with a bonfire matching the color of cubes you just discarded. So, How do other players deal with Hester? They can attack Hester. Hester has a strength of three units and if she gains any cubes for having more units, then she gains a cube matching the color of terrain she is on when attacked. If Hester is on a bonfire, then she has a strength of five units. When Hester is successfully attacked on a bonfire, The Hester player chooses what is attacked, Hester or the bonfire. If Hester is killed, she's removed from the board and that player can rotate their spoon down to point at the one, so where it started. Hester can continue coming back to life as described earlier. Free action, activating cards. You can activate each of your face-up cards once each turn at any point during your turn as long as it's after gaining cubes from your roots. This is not an action. Once a card has been activated, slide it forward a bit to indicate it has been used. You can activate each card once per round, with each activating either before or after the cube drop. Long ago In an act of cruel brutality, Hester devoured the flesh of her beloved sister, Amaryllis. When she did so, she absorbed all of her sister's magic. She also awakened a terrible hunger within herself. Now, she longs to feast upon the skin and blood and meat and bone of other powerful beings so she might consume their essence and grow more powerful. Cleanup Once you're done with all your faction actions, follow these steps to clean up. Hester wants to eat legends to gain their powers. If Hester is on the same hex as a legend during cleanup, you can eat any token from that player. These tokens must be an Ability Token, including Legend Ability Token, or Wild Token. Place this Eden Token in a square on the side of Hester's board that's closest to that player. If eating a Family Legend, you can ask for a specific Ability Token from their bag or take one from their faction board, but you can't take an upgraded token. After eating, Hester is removed from the board and must be summoned again before eating anymore. Place any extra terrain cubes not used onto the battleground in the middle section, each onto one of the six spaces. Hester cannot carry over more than six cubes from turn to turn. Any extra cubes are discarded. Hester can choose which ones are discarded. Then, remove the bonfire tokens that you use to indicate which actions you took from your faction board and place them to the left of your faction board. And finally, draw cards so that you have three cards in your hand. Interacting with Hester. Here are a few ways that Hester interacts differently with any opponent. When a non Hester player attacks, you take all cubes even if they're not attacking Hester, including Hester's cubes, and drop them into the cube tree. If a non-Hester player takes the first player bonus tile away from the other player, they won't get two turns in a row like they did in a two-player game. Instead, they take the first player token, complete their turn, and then Hester has a turn. Then, the player with the first player token takes a turn again. Hester and protectors. Here are a few ways that protectors interact differently with Hester. Barbed wire token cannot be placed on any hex with a root token, a bonfire or Hester. Hester can move free onto a hex with a path token. If a bonfire is is on the protector's home hex, then the protectors cannot rescue any townsfolk or spawn on their home hex until the bonfire is gone. Roots can be placed on the same hexes as townsfolk, but they are not affected by it. Hester and the family Here are a few ways that the family interacts differently with Hester. Storms do not affect the movement of Hester or the placement of roots. If a bonfire is on the family's home hex and that hex does not have a storm on it yet, then the family cannot destroy any buildings or spawn on their home hex until that bonfire is gone. Roots can be placed on the same hexes as buildings, but they're not affected by it. Hester and Cami. Here are a few ways that Kami interacts differently with Hester. An infected haint can carry a doll token around. If an infected haint moves onto the same hex as an uninfected haint with the doll token, the infected haint could pick up that doll token and continue moving. Roots can be placed on the same hexes as doll tokens, but they're not affected by it. Hester can only eat the Kami Legend, not the Goblin Legend. So, the player playing as Hester has to pay attention to Kami's turn to deduce which token is Kami. Game End Hester will regain all her strength and win the game immediately if all six squares are filled with tokens regardless if someone else triggered the end of the game already. If someone else triggers the end of the game and Hester cannot come back to life by the end of the round, then the opponent with the highest score wins, ties still broken by the player with the first player token. And that is it for this episode of the Book of Rulebooks, Harrow County the game of Gothic Conflict, designed by Jake Cormier and Chad Miller, and published by Off The Page Games. As mentioned at the beginning of this episode, Harrow County is currently funding on Kickstarter, so have a look at their page, and you'll find the link in the description of this episode. My name is Mathieu Labrosse, and thank you very much for listening. If you're new to the book of rulebooks, consider following on your podcast platform to find out about any other board games that you might be interested in. You can also find all of our previous episodes on your podcast platform. Again, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you in the next episode where we'll cover the game Endless Winter.